So we're starting a new series this month. And the new series is going to be all about giving, about what does it mean to give? What does God demand of us? And this week we're going to start with that, with a question which you might not think of straight away, but it, it baffles some people, is, is why should we give anything to God? Why should we give anything to God? I want to start with a story that I heard, uh, I read while I was away on, a, on um, several news sites. Has anyone heard of a lady called, and she's been dubbed Canadian Susan? Anyone heard of Canadian Susan? Canadian Susan is a bride in Canada. Not surprising. Um, and she wanted an absolute dream wedding. Her and her fiancé had saved somewhere in the region of £15,000 for their wedding. But this was not enough. She, her wedding would cost her £60,000. This is a true story. Um, and she wondered how they would raise the money, and they came up with this idea. They sent their invites to people and said, to come to our wedding, it's going to cost you £1,500. If you don't pay the £1,500, or 1500 Canadian dollars, um, you're not coming to our wedding because this is an exclusive event. Now, you can imagine how well that went down, can't you? You know, most of us at the best of times don't want to be at weddings. We go because we're polite. We go and sit down. We know that there's, there's going to be a long wait. And then after the ceremony, there's lots of photography and you've just got to wait around. But then to actually be told, you're coming to the wedding, but you've got to pay $1,500 to come. Just seems a little bit much, doesn't it? As you can imagine, the wedding didn't go ahead. Um, and her friends don't like her anymore. It's quite a sad story, actually. Um, but is it, it's that real difficult, being invited and then said, but you have to pay. To come to this celebration, to come to this party, you have to pay this amount of money. It's exclusive. And if you don't, you can't come. Why do I say that story? Well, I think sometimes it's a bit like the Christian faith. We tell people this exciting, exciting thing that we have, that we believe that God loves them, that Jesus died on a cross for them, and we want to invite them. And they say, is it free? And you go, yes, well, it is free, but God does demand things. God, God wants us to give ourselves, our lives, our, our money, our gifts, our talents. And all of a sudden you kind of go, actually... It's quite costly to follow God, to follow Christ. Why does then God demand of us? Wouldn't it be easier if we could go to people and say, we've got a great thing, you know. God loves you, God died for you, what do I have to do in return? Nothing. Just live your life as you are already. Don't bother, it just means you've got an automatic place in heaven. Wouldn't that be easier to sell? Wouldn't our churches be much more fuller if we could give that, that, that assurance that it doesn't matter? But we know that's not the case that God does ask of us today. As Jeff has said, Jesus, in our reading, is being questioned. He's not just being questioned, he's trying to be caught in a trap. He's having quite a hard time. If you read those previous uh, uh, paragraphs beforehand, you can see question from the religious leaders from the Pharisees, and the question we get today is from the, 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 the scribes. The questions are about Jesus' authority. The questions about the resurrection. 
They're trying to catch him out. They're trying to get him to say something that they know is wrong or is against God. And Mark, as he's been writing, has been showing us this building conflict between Jesus and those religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests. And as Jesus starts to assert his authority, they just don't like it. They just don't like what this man is saying. And we get to this point in our reading, where the question is today, what's the greatest commandment? You know, this passage in the Bible is greatly debated. Because we could read it at face value, that actually Jesus hears a question, answers it. And those, those who think that actually Jesus has been a little bit tongue-in-cheek at the end, because he's trying to say to them, you're just not getting the point. You're closer to the kingdom of heaven, but you're not there yet. And so there's lots of different ways we can actually read this passage. Go back at home and read it again. Read it in a sarcastic tone. Um, I'm not saying Jesus is deliberate being sarcastic, but he's trying to throw the deflection back onto them and say, can you hear how silly your questions are? What's the purpose of the question? Well, this is a scribe asking. The scribe is someone who wants order, who, who, who wants lists. And so some might say that actually he's wanting Jesus to list all 600 commands in order, or the 10 commands at least, in order of importance. Well, the response Jesus gives is something quite different. He gives just that one response. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, quoting back from the Old Testament. And at that point, there were no other questions. Was it because Jesus had turned them? Well, probably not. It's probably more the fact that they realised they couldn't catch him out anymore. That here was a man who had full authority. And actually, this constant questioning was getting them nowhere and was actually just encouraging the followers of Jesus encouraging them in their understanding this is the Son of God. But the joy of Scripture is that it's timeless. You know, it still applies today. What's the greatest commandment for us? It's still that command, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbour as yourself. Now, I have to be really careful today because my Michelle is preaching next week on giving ourselves to God completely. And I realise it would be very easy for me to just say, we need to give ourselves. And Michelle's left next week going, well, what do I preach on? You've done it all. Um, I'm sure she would be too vocal about it with me. So I want to be careful that I don't jump to that conclusion straight away. I want to take a slightly different tangent with this. If that's the greatest command, if that's what Jesus says the greatest command is, to love ourselves, sorry, to love God, to love one another, then why? Why is it so important that we love God? Why does God demand this of us? You know, we can look through scriptures and we can see, if we read it in one way, a very demanding God, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. A God that demands high standards, high expectations. 
that cause us to give our lives, to give our worship, to give our praise and adoration? Why does the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God need us to sing songs about him? It's a genuine question. Why does he need us to sing songs about him? Is it because actually within God there is a weakness? There's a neediness? No. That can't be, because if that was the case, God would not be God. It comes down to one word. Relationship. Relationship. Maybe it's not God's command that drives us to, to worship, to praise, to give our lives and to give our adoration. But maybe it's the fullness of humanity that to be the fullness that we can be, the most that we can be, to live our lives in the best way that God has created. That for ourselves we, we have a desire, a longing to worship the one who created. To give our praise, to give our worship, our adoration. So is it that God commands it of us? Or is it that actually for us to be the most human that we can be, we need to worship, we need to praise, we need to see the, the larger picture and not just be content with ourselves. I imagine many of us have been in those situations with relationships in those early days when we really made an effort, you know, where we would buy gifts, where we'd have romantic meals and as you get older and you get more used to each other, romantic gestures get more like, can you reach my back because I can't quite get there? Or, you know, can you put cream on my toe because I can't quite reach? It's about relationship. And this, this sense of, of praise and of worship, it is not, I believe, because God needs it. It's because there is something within us that says, if we are not people of praise, of worship, of love to the one who created us, then we are not the fullest of humanity that we can be. And God's desire for us is to be as full in his creation as we can be. Sometimes with God we can forget though, can't we? It's lovely that God never forgets us, but we sometimes can forget God. Given all this, Sometimes we can even get to that stage where we go, God, I've worshipped you. I've praised you. I've done this, this, and this, and this. And what have you done? And for my opinion, diddly squat. And we get to those stages sometimes, don't we? But actually, God has done so much for us. Created us. Redeemed us. Loves us. And if God was to do nothing else for us, which is not true because he does, surely that enough is to praise and to worship the one who did all those things. We can never outpay God. We can never give so much of ourselves that God goes, hang on a minute, the balance books aren't looking so good here. God is worthy of our praise and of our worship and of our adoration. So why should we give them? Because he is worthy. And it's not because he demands them, but it's out of our sense of desire, of building of that relationship. To give worship and praise and adoration, to give our money, to give all these things, is not 
to, 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 to appease the desires of a demanding God. But it is the fullness of our humanity. And then, in turn, to love others. That's a tricky thing, isn't it? Can I just say others? is not just the people in the church. Others is the community around. To love the people at work that drive you balmy. To love the people we see in the streets. You know, when this church is engaged with prayer station out on the street, we're here for you. It's to love those people. It's to love the people we find hard, we find difficult. So what are these... In one sense, we can ask, well, what are the commandments then? Well, surely the commandments are not there to, to push us down, but to give us life and to give us a guide to our relationship with God. You know, when it says, thou shalt not kill, yes, it's, you know, God is saying it's wrong to kill, but actually by taking the life of someone else, we're damaging our relationship with God. When adultery happens, it's wrong, but we're damaging our relationship with God. When we covet someone else's, I want that, I want that. We're damaging our relationship with God. The commandments are also a way of seeing how our relationship with God can thrive, and can live. And that's why Jesus said when he came on earth, I've come to fulfill the commandments, to fulfill the law, sorry, to fulfill the law. God has come to show that relationship. And his love, God's love, was shown on a cross. We're going to share and remember that in communion in a bit. Now this is a bit that's tricky for me, because I normally say, so what? What does that mean to us? And I go, well, we need to give ourselves. But Michelle's doing that next week, so I mustn't do that. But I want us just to think, before we get to the inevitable point next week of giving our all, how do we use this week to check our relationship with God? To actually say, I want to be the fullest I can be in your love and I want to give you praise and worship and adoration. How can we check ourselves this week with our relationship with God? Is there resentment there? God, why haven't you done this? Why have you not done that? Is there an uncomfortableness about giving to God. That is, it just seems to you like a one-way relationship that God's demanding everything. Here's my money. Here's my prayer. Here's my turning up on a Sunday morning. Here's my Sunday morning lying gone. You can have that. And what are we getting back? What am I getting back? Is there a resentment or uncomfortableness? Do we see God like Canadian Susan? Demanding that if you're in this relationship with me, I want 1,500 quid off of you, otherwise, nothing. Or can we see it for our benefit? For us reaching the fullness of humanity. That's important with our relationship with God. And how do we know if we are in a good relationship with God? Well, you will each know that in your own separate ways. But maybe as we start this series on giving, and there'll be different things, giving ourselves, giving in different ways, giving financially, maybe we need to ask ourselves once again, 
where am I with God? What is my relationship with God? Is it in a place where I can give freely and, and be grateful and joyful? Or is it a place where even when I pray, when I sing God songs to words, when I sing words in songs to God, it's a sense of resentment, a sense of, is this true? Maybe this week, as before we start going deeper into this, this uh, series, we could just ask ourselves those questions. Pray about it. Seek your own heart when you're praying on yourselves, when you're listening to worship music, when you're looking at your bank statement and you're seeing money going out to the church. Ask yourself, what's my relationship with God? Does that feel right? Or are there other things I need to do? But I suppose we always have to come back to that question. How am I in relationship with God? Well, maybe if we can look at the words in our passage today, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbour yourself. Maybe that's the litmus paper test we need to do this week, to look at those and to ask, are they a truth and a reality in our lives? Amen.